What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast. We have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. All right, y'all, I got another dope episode for you with another dope guest. Can't wait for you to hear from Nia. But first, as always, got to remind you of a few ways to support the show. So number one, like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really helps folks discover the show, hear these awesome conversations. Number two, follow RTWD on IG at RTWD Podcast. You know, send your boy a DM. Let me know how you feel about the show and all that stuff. Number three, and the most importantly, by financially supporting the show. There are two ways to do that. The first one is the Patreon page. There's a cool bunch of tiers on there that you can sign up for. And then the second one is, you know, slide your boy a donation one time on coffee that is all located in the show notes but enough about all of that now on to my guest this week i am joined by nia rigel nia is a bay area native a licensed clinical therapist and life coach founder and owner of rigel consulting and while struggling with depression she embarked on a self journey to find the right tools to lead her to better lifestyle she embraced the opportunity of professional help and eventually began using what she had learned to help others break free from repetitive cycles and overcome their healthy unhealthy habits in a judgment-free space where everyone feels they are heard that is me me and i discuss holistic health and healing how to protect your peace energy and everything in between i'm incredibly excited to have nia on the show to talk with y'all to drop some knowledge wisdom and all those other gems and i know you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. All right, y'all, here is Nia. Nia, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you doing today? Man, I am so excited to be here. It's not even funny. That intro was so on point. So that was good. I like to tell my my friends and you're on the show now. So now you're my friend and I always like to gas up all my friends. So you come (laughs) on my show. I carry that gas. I always like, I like to put, add a little spice. You know, they they are really incredible people that come onto the show. That's, That's what I do. And I'm so appreciative of you coming through. So thank you. Yeah, same. Yes. So anyways, I read your bio, read a little bit about you, and you're pretty open there about kind of like your journey. But I would love for you to kind of like just share, you know, who is Nia? How did you get to where you are right now? Yeah, my such a purpose question. I get that asked that question not quite often enough, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you for, you know, being a catalyst to this conversation because I think that it's important for women and men to both have this transfers of energy and share it with the world. So I really appreciate not you only like being a male and providing this space for me, but also being a black man and providing this safe space for me. So I'm going to like be comfortable with taking my mask off. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) So thank you. And so who is Nia? Nia is a mother. She is She's passionate about living life. Um, she's purposed in why she's here. She can be difficult at times. <laughs> she's a, a lover of the sun, and she loves to sit by the water but not get in because of temperature. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and I'm a, I'm a by native I'm West African trying to find my way back home. You know, in a where I don't know who I am. So I'm all that in in one. <laughs> yes, I love that. And thank you so much. I mean, I think just even opening up as far as like that question with who you are, like who who am I? I feel I feel like only so much we can put into writing. And anytime anybody asks me that question, it kind of like changes, but I lead with like the three identities that like 
mean the most to me. You know, I'm a husband, I'm a I'm a brother, I'm a son. And those are the those are the three identities that mean like an incredible amount to me. And then the other ones are like, I'm an organizational psychologist, like I'm a leadership coach, I'm a career coach, you know, I'm a basketball player, I'm a hooper, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. All those things. And so many more things. But I, I purposely ask that question because like I just want to create that space for you to say who mm-hmm. you are. You know what I'm saying? For you to to come into this space that as you are. And I, I don't think I've ever like actually said that. So thank you so much for bringing attention. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that purpose, yeah. yeah. You know, because a part of my, my journey is finding safe spaces and knowing when I'm safe enough in a space. And so I've become very proficient at understanding when I am safe and when my body is telling me that I'm safe. And so I always recognize spaces like that because oftentimes we're so busy you know, just in our day to day, we don't really realize that those spaces are not really quite often created. So when they are created, I'm like, oh, great. This is a safe space. Thanks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. OK, so. All right. We're just going to start right there. So yeah. I because I'm thinking about in my own journey in like mm-hmm. how much pain and hurt that I had to go through to figure mm-hmm. out spaces weren't safe for me. Like I'm thinking about the white corporate spaces that I, that I worked in. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking about like even the white nonprofit spaces that I worked in or even spaces that were like very much like persons of color, but like actually there were nobody that looked like me. There were no other black folks for me. And actually how damaging those spaces could be because of like the persistence of not only like white supremacy, but like anti-blackness, which is so pervasive. And so like, how, how did you even come to like recognizing within yourself or even like paying attention to your body of like when a space wasn't safe for you? Yeah. So my so my background is in therapy and so my narrative started really early on about what safety was for me and so i often get asked like why did i become a therapist it's like the number one question that people want to know like how do you get into this body of work and i've always been transparent about that i was institutionalized in to being a therapist i was afraid of the system attacking my family and how I realized that I had experienced that tra- level of trauma. I was seven. So I remember mm. the age and I remember the feeling. So I had a sister that was diagnosed with bipolar at, a, at 13 and my mother was stereotypical, single mother, low education, low economical status. And they gave her two options. They said, you either turn your child into CPS or you turn into a psych ward. And I just saw the level of defeatedness on my mother's face. And she's always so strong. And I remember at seven feeling that pain, not being able to take care of yourself or take care of your children. And that pain sat with me. And so I always told myself that I was going to be the other person on that other side making that decision for that family. And so one of the things that I had to really take my mask off about is that I had pretty much developed my whole professional career off of a trauma that I had experienced mm. as a as a early child. And so when you realize that <laughs> Oh and you create your entire life around this, right? And I've grown mm. to love what I do, but on the other side was a whole nother person that had been ignored most of my life. And so I'm getting to know her now. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I even think back to my my story and I read a book. I can't remember what it is, what book it is, but it talked about kind of like this 
this person talked about like their therapy journey mm -hmm. and like their therapist like challenged them of like, you know, how did that make you feel? Like what, what was going on there? And then brought back and reminded him of like, that actually reminds me of like your 12 year old self. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like the way that you responded to that incident or you, the way that you're navigating the world. It's like your 12 year old self is driving the car. And that's always stuck with me about how there are moments where like there, there's that my, my like eight year old self, like mm -hmm. my eight year old trauma, like traumatized self is like, like running the show yeah, and making decisions about my health, making decisions about like where I'm going to work, who I'm going to mm -hmm. hang out with how I'm going to take care of myself mentally. It's, it's just so true. And like getting to know that person and like having grace for, you know, eight year old Jonathan, having grace for, you know, 15 year old Jonathan, like these like key <laughs> traumatic moments in my life, you know what I'm saying? And, and trying to understand that and like mm -hmm. not, and maybe you could speak to, maybe you could speak a little bit better to this, <laughs> but like, but like not becoming friends with it, but becoming acquainted with like the trauma and like, kind of mm -hmm. like, working through it and processing through it. I think I'm learning to do that now because before I tried to just deny it. Um, and in that same denial, it was still like driving me. Like it gave more power to it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Instead of like, yeah, instead of tending to it and paying attention to those feelings that were coming up. Right. And a lot of that yeah. has to do with, again, safety. If you aren't safe in your environment, if you felt like you had to wear this protective guard because in fear of whatever retaliation or experience in your mind or whatever that may happen, my grace came where I had to really recognize that, like that it mm -hmm. wasn't something that, you know, I wanted to just be in this space and be cultivating this life out of this, you know, trauma response or like not being a person who I am. It was that I didn't have uh, the safety enough intuitively to come out and to, you know, share who I was. So it was more like a protective layer. You know, I like mm. to say it was for me. And so what I'm working through now, which many of us are doing by just having platforms like this, is we're, is we're working on taking those layers off because to build that layer up, it was generationally, it was um, institutionalized in its capacity. It was emotional. It was mental. It was physical. It was all those things that... We endured and it's in our bodies. And so, you know, it's one of those things for me where I'm happy that you're here as a leader, even though you're going through all of those different experiences. So mm. it says a lot about your leadership skills. So I, I appreciate you being able to do that. No, I, I, I appreciate I appreciate that. And I, I received that. I, I received <laughs> that for sure. And I think it, what's interesting is that like, and I tell this, you know, when I when I coach folks, I, I tell this when I talk about like even leadership, leadership development and workshops and stuff like that. I think there is this idea that there needs to be like this wall or mask up where folks have to pretend to be somebody that they're not, mm -hmm. i.e. having all the answers, i.e. being this strong, authoritative place, i.e. holding all power, i.e. just like, all of these different things, right? And I, and I've never led like well, that that is a lie. Um, I was I almost told a lie. I have <laughs> led like that, but like those spaces where I led like that, I was leading from that eight year old self, from that mm -hmm. you know fifteen year old self, and like I was letting my trauma like guide everything that I was doing instead of admitting that I didn't have all the answers, instead of like literally treating my team as a team and, and bringing humanity back into like the workplace, the spaces that I'm in, because really if we even look at the most successful people, they're just trying shit out. Like they don't, Absolutely, <laughs> like, right. they don't, they don't know what they're doing. And once I embraced that 
fact is truth, you know what I'm saying? Like it actually became easier. The burden was less. And my emotional intelligence like actually went up because I was able to empathize and have compassion um, and was able to listen to the people that were around me more so. And I was able to grow ultimately. And again, like we were talking about earlier, it's like tending to that like trauma. Right. And really like providing space for it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finding a safe space, you know, because uh, one of the things I do is I support high achieving black men with their balancing their wellness. Right. And so mm. part of the curriculum that we talk, focus on is emotional intelligence and how, mm. you know, black men are really empathic leaders naturally. And mm. it yeah. just hasn't been a safe space for you guys to lead in that way because of the way that the system is positioned to where you're kind of like having to respond rather than to lead. It's kind of mm. hard, you know, to find your way on that path when you're trying to be authentic to your natural nature. If your natural nature is to be an empathic leader and get out there and lead, but the space isn't provided, then, you know, like, what do you do? You know? And I think that a lot of uh, black men and black women and, uh, and men in leadership, you know, in these um, percentile places that we really are not represented, they have to go through those things because they're in those positions because they are natural leaders. Right. Mm -hmm. But they're suppressed because their natural gifts and talents have to have like a peck in order to be received. So mm-hmm. it's hard, you know, to really, if we really are trying to believe with authenticity, <laughs> yeah, to play the guy who's who's catching the fly balls on the sidelines when he should be on the star of the team who's leading it. Like, so it's hard. It's difficult. And yeah, yeah. No, that's dope. For uh, well, can you talk more about that? Because I'm really curious and like mm-hmm. the services that you provide. I saw that you have kind of like the stuff with the kings and the queens of just like yeah. that journey of healing. I would love for you to kind of like break down what that process looks like. Absolutely. Um, and what is like the where where do you see like the need for it? Um, I, I feel like you outlined it a little bit, but I would love for you to dive a little bit deeper into it. Yeah, I so I feel like it's being applicable across the board because mental health is everywhere, right? There's no like yeah. crevice area, no nothing of where you can hide from mental health. It's a it's a very broad uh, scheme that has so many facets in how we navigate the world. So part of that initiative is on my platform, RC Wellness Brand, is to really bring um, those necessary techniques and skills that are very unique to Black professionals, right? Mm. So one of the things that when I was in school, I had a really hard time really aligning with is that I felt that I was learning from white theorists. I was learning mm. from Eurocentric ways of how to for- take care of mental health. And none of these things were cultural to me. So I often mm. felt like I was learning how to take care of other people outside of mine. And so in that, I realized that this is I wasn't there to, thank you, to choose a side. I was there to understand a system. And so Mm. after I understood the system and how it didn't support, you know, my experience that I had, I realized that, okay, now I've got to work backwards and kind of try to create my own. So my brand essentially is to really help get those studies, really to help get those high performers with wellness being at the forefront because we've gotten it backwards, right? We mm, think that yeah. our performance is going to heal us, 
right? Mm. But it's not. We heal and then our performance gets better. So that's what it's about. So I'm yeah. over here trying to get all these high performing black people who are about to run out on fumes in a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, recalibrated and restored. And so I went to LinkedIn on purpose to find the leaders, to find those people mm-hmm. who are willing to go the extra miles to give them this information because. We're just going to start it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, that's so funny because I, again, I think back to my experience of like, I just need to power through. I just need to get over it. I just need to like do better. I just need to do more. I'm not busy enough. I'm not making enough money. Like I need to get another degree. I need to do this. And I never really thought about like, you know, is this, is I thought like I was lucky enough to be in that space. I thought like I need to grind it out. Like I'm going to get the, I just need to pay my dues. And sometimes you do need to pay your dues, learn all that stuff. But there was sometimes, there was a more often than not, I was working for people that I was more qualified for. Yeah. And I was just like, what is going on? And so like, I'm, and then, and and then killing myself, breaking my back, trying to figure out, I'm going to change my language. I was running on fumes for other people and not doing, not applying that same amount of effort and work to myself, for the betterment of myself, to protect myself, to protect my peace, energy, all that stuff, so that I could actually get a better job, do all those things, and actually probably even be working less or whatever, whatever have you. So like, that's a word that you said of like, you know, doing more and not taking care of themselves. But like, you know, the real work is actually doing something for yourself so you can do better work. I like that. It's it's a total mindset shift. And like in my bio, you have read that I was super high performing and depressed. And mm. I was like, okay, so this doesn't make any sense because my cycle was I would go high perform for like three or four months. I, I mean, like like maybe nine months straight. I mean, I'm talking about like, boom, full-fledged, like bottle energy, like boom, building. And it would hit a certain level. And then I would crash for three months. And mm-hmm. when a pandemic hit, I was like, okay, no, I'm definitely going to get my own therapist because I can't. <laughs> I've never been here before. This is out of my scope of practice. Like, yep. abort, abort, no. And I'm really passionate about not being a, an unhealthy therapist. I'm, I'm really passionate mm. about making sure that my clients have the best, healthiest therapist that they can possibly um, have, right? So I just started to get into my own my own cycles of my depression. And my therapist told me that I had to stop using depression as a crutch. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So I say more, say more on that. Say more on that. Cause I think my uh, therapist said something very similar when I talked yeah. about anxiety. <laughs> yeah. So my coping skill was depression. So instead of listening to those signs that I needed to take a break, um, I actually oh, okay. started to burn out. And so I would crash for three months and I was going through all my cycles and I had to keep showing up for therapy and facing it. Mm. And so typically when when you're not in therapy, you can hide a lot of your cycles because you don't have to show up for anyone. Like we know how to like get dressed, put some, for me, get dressed, put some makeup on, you know, present well, but inside I'm Mm -hmm. like, can't wait to go home so I can crash again. Right. And Mm -hmm. so going through those uh, appointments and her seeing me in a very vulnerable state like that, it it was humbling. (laughs) I had to make sure. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, Oh man, shout out my therapist. Cause like, I'm thinking about like, 
Because I would use the word like, yeah, I'm feeling really anxious. I'm like so anxious, like about these decisions that we're making. And he would like bring perspective. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, your job's not going well. It looks like you're about to quit. <laughs> your partner's still unemployed. Yeah, that makes sense. But y'all have been saving, right? Like that's that was the plan. Like you already had planned for this. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. So I, like he would just like bring perspective to me and I would have to face it every single time. And I'm like, dang, I got to go talk to him. And he's going to tell me about myself and everything like that. But it was like really, it was it was helpful to like have that perspective because I would go to these spirals and then when, and I need to control. So like if I, if I feel like, so my, spir- my, my spiral is like, I work, 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 plan, 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 plan when I hit a wall to plan, have a backup plan to the backup plan because I just don't want to not be, not have some sense of control. Yeah. And so even if even if my partner is like, I don't know what we're gonna do, I'm like, I've already thought about that three different ways. If that doesn't happen, this is gonna happen. If that doesn't happen, this is gonna happen. Right. But like I started getting like really anxious because I was running out of plans. Right. <laughs> right. As you should, right? Uh and so like like he actually did he he challenged me about like to go back to the first plan that I had about quitting my job. We already had savings away. And getting into a healthier space. Right. You know, taking time, being with my partner. And I did that. And like all of a sudden, like my I, I just it just felt different. It felt freer, felt better. And so like I I yeah, it's it feels weird to say like, you know, depression or even anxiety can be a crutch. Yeah. So yeah, I you're gonna have to help me with that one. I'm I'm curious because like I, I would imagine somebody who's listening to this would be like how could you say that? Is can depression and anxiety be a crutch? But I'm curious, like, can you break that down for us? How how can those things be a crutch for somebody who's like still trying to figure that piece out? Yeah, so it depends on the person, right? Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Depression is a spectrum. It's not just one thing. The way that it's presented mm-hmm. to us is that you have depression and boom, it's all these are the symptoms of depression. But depression is a widespread of different realities of depression, right? So yeah. the way that I used my depression was it was a high functioning depression, right? Mm-hmm. So you see that kind of buzzword going around a lot in corporate America because it's very passive aggressive depression. It's you're not depressed enough to be debilitated. Right. But you're you're still not doing the thing. You're not fulfilled with your personal life. You're not doing the things you're not working. Perfect. You're not working professionally in your personal life. You're working just professionally in your in your professional life. And so for those people who are high functioning and still have that that level of depression, you definitely could use it as a crutch because Mm. it's a very good barometer for your body to kind of take over your mind because your mind is operating at such a high capacity. It just wants to perform. It just wants to uh, outproduce. And if you're using opioids too, that's also going to say a balance too, right? Because it's false energy. So for Mm -hmm. me, I didn't use substance abuse or anything, but I was tempted to use Adderall and things of those nature because those are things that are widely acceptable, but they trick our nervous system into thinking that it has energy that it doesn't have. And all we do Mm -hmm. increase our chances of being depressed. So these Mm. are things that we're doing to ourselves to make us depressed. It's not that we have depression. And so Mm. that's what my therapist was making me see, that it wasn't that I stemmed from this long experience of depression because that just was in my body. I wasn't taking care of myself not to be depressed. And then as Mm. a result of me not taking care of my body, depression had to set in for me to get balanced enough because I I needed to be back on my cycle again, right? Mm -hmm. So I would literally be disassociated from the world in my life for three months straight, still performing, 
but literally go home and be nothing to nobody. And mm. so I had to work on that. And so since I've been working on that, I haven't, I have small spurts of depression because we all have bad days and ebbs and flows, but it's only yeah, when I'm yeah. going through a transition, no phase. It's only when I'm excessively worrying and I using my coping skills to stop me from going down tons of rabbit holes or when I'm, mm-hmm. my plate's too full and I'm not delegating enough. So I'm able to notice when I'm triggering my depression so that mm-hmm. if it is getting triggered, I know what to do to kind of help it subside and not wait those three months long like I did by checking out because I didn't have that information. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that breakdown too because like once you like know like your cycle and can pay attention to it, have a little bit of perspective, you actually find ways of like, oh, instead of you're burning yourself out because mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is like you would work, work, work nine months and then you would burn yourself out, be right. in a depressive state for three months. That was the alarm that your body was saying that you literally have no more energy, like right. <laughs> none whatsoever, nothing. You have nothing to give. And then like once you get out of that, you're, you're back on the swing. It's like- like even from my own like perspective of like yeah those were the moments where I knew like that oh I I need to take a break mm-hmm. but like I would talk to my I would talk to my partner and I'd be like yeah I'm feeling like super anxious this week and I was like I don't know where it's coming from I don't know what the trigger is and she would like tell me all of the things that I've done for like the last like two months straight right and I'm like that makes sense it's so, like even paying attention to that yeah. and knowing that oh I've been really busy haven't actually had a weekend haven't slept in been waking up are going to sleep late, waking up early, um, haven't hung out with friends, I haven't played basketball, I haven't like worked out um, consistently. Those are like, oh, I like all of the things I normally do to take care of myself, to like recharge, to be a healthier Jonathan. Yeah. Like I actually haven't done that. So like it, no wonder like my body is, I'm just probably like running on E and not necessarily <laughs> like. <laughs> right. So I'm curious for you, like, because I know, like, I've had to unlearn a lot of, like, unhealthy coping mechanisms and skills and all that. Like, how can we, once we know our cycles, like, create healthier habits for ourselves or healthier coping skills for ourselves um, once we get to that space of, like, knowing or or learning more? Great question. So what we can do is we can start to really take autonomy over what we're doing to ourselves. You know, for a long time, I was conditioned to people, please. I grew up in a really heavenly Christian religious background and Hmm. we showed up in perfectionism. Like, like I was literally like my upbringing, right? My training when I was, you know, growing up as a child was to always show up my best, even if I'm at my worst. And Hmm. I did that and it almost killed me. So... Hmm. I just really had to go through this mindset shift of telling myself that it wasn't okay to do that, that Mm -hmm. I'm only hurting myself when I do. And even though, like you said, going back to that inner child, she wanted to show up because it was embarrassing. And I just can remember my mom saying how ridiculous it would be if I shamed our family and all those high performing narratives that our parents plug in our ears. I was just solely focused on the performance. I wasn't focused on me as a person because I just had mm. that narrative in the back of my mind. So the first thing that people can do is start to figure out, like, are you performing because you want to? Or are you performing mm. because you're running from something to something or trying to prove something? Because mm. most of my performance came from wanting to prove something because I grew up with feeling rejected. I was number five or seven. And by the time my mom got with me to me, she was tired. So she never had time 
to celebrate me only if I accomplish them. And mm. so that got normalized a lot for me. And so when I was really working through where the hell did I get my energy from, <laughs> these things popping up. And so I had to face mm. them because they couldn't motivate me anymore if I was really going to show up in my true authentic nature. And, and that was really um, embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not embarrassing to me. I can relate. I, I, I just like I'm a performer through and through, and like having to performer as in like high achieving, show mm-hmm. up. You know, got that praise when you when I was doing something successful. And I'm the oldest, so what's what's interesting is that like is that like think back to my childhood and like me and my mom were really close. Like growing up, we're really close. But I don't know. Oh, I no, I know where I know where it stems from. It's it's I don't know my biological dad. And okay. like I had a stepfather that was like there and present and was a great dad. But like for me, like I always knew that like he wasn't my biological dad. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there was always this like missing piece of like of that person not being there and like a sense of like blame for me. Like my existence is the reason why he's there, isn't there. And so I am I think I still reckon with it, right? I posted a few months ago about like how as a perfectionist, as somebody who like is high achieving, as somebody who's mm-hmm. always trying to be the best at everything, it's like this overwhelming sense in the back of my mind that if I do enough, he will come back. Yeah. And like and like I have to come back or even be in my life or anything like that. And I think it's kind of hard to reckon with the fact that like I will probably never meet this person mm-hmm. ever. And like that's even I don't think I've ever said that loud. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I'm getting a little emotional. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like hard to like say those words and but like everything that I do is driven by this like yeah. sense of perfectionism, sense of high achieving and both like embarrassing for somebody I don't know, mm-hmm. but also just like incredibly infuriating, incredibly frustrating because I've done a lot of cool shit in my life. Right. <laughs> and like right. it, it's so it's just <laughs> like yeah, so I I completely resonate with that, and I was trying to pretend like I didn't know where it was from, but I totally know where it's from. But I still like even I mean years of therapy, and at this point right. I'm still like reckoning with it, obviously. But but like again to your point of finding healthy ways to like work with that, right? Of like coping with that, of of finding of not being validated by what I do, but being but surrounding myself with people that love me just for me, which right. is like which always blows my mind of like having a partner that like believes in me more than I believe in myself, mm-hmm. loves me unconditionally, having a mom that cheers me on like mm-hmm. crazy or just cheers me on as much as she does. I'm trying to change my language there. It just all those kinds of things. And that has been like game changing for me right. and like healing for me to have a community that cares deeply about me just for me mm-hmm. and not anything I can do for them. And receiving that too, right? Receiving that too has been a journey. <laughs> and believing it. And so thank you for yes. sharing that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and believing it. That's what I was saying about false motivation. Part of being an authentic, empathic leader is transparency. And so mm. sometimes we get caught to conversations where we're going to have to release things on the spot. And so I appreciate you like being bold enough to like step into that because people, some people would teeter away from the conversation. And I've had these conversations with a lot of people. Mm. Like I, I support high performers. So these conversations are not easy. To, you know, mm-hmm. to, to talk about, especially when you're a performer, right? Because you're supposed to do everything, have everything, be everything. People are looking to you to the, for that leadership quality and skills. And like, when do you get, like, get, get time to just like be a person and have those conversations? So these conversations amongst high performers need to happen a lot across this mm. 
right? I'm just making space in my wellness brand for black high performers because we're often left out of the conversation in its totality, but we're the one who carries a lot of the load, right? To show those very microaggressed ways when we do go to work and we're such high performers. So I've been in situations and workspaces like that and it didn't fuel me and didn't make me passionate about the work. I was there solely for the impact that I was making, but even like making an impact wasn't enough when it came to my mental health outdoor while. Like, mm. and I had to be transparent about that. And that's what I was going back to this whole time. I was living in a trauma narrative response and mm. she was killing it. Cause she had a mission. She had a purpose. She was going to go and impact and make sure that, that never happens to anybody again. But when you start to evolve and you start to grow into your ego, your ego needs more lives to fuel that passion. And so I was just, mm. this is somebody I want to be. And as much as I am passionate on this, this side of being who I am, as equally I was passionate about destroying myself. And so I had to be transparent about who I was letting win. And my ego was taking over me. Mm. And that's a word. Because the ego definitely needs lives to needs those lives to thrive and take over and and win. I'm curious for those people that you're having these conversations with and taking and creating space. Because like I just remember like my own journey <laughs> and like how difficult it was to like be emotionally present. Yeah, like I was describing myself to my partner before we got together, and she says like I still wasn't all the way there. But like how emotionally not disconnected. But like how emotionally distant I was, like I wasn't, I wouldn't show like like true empathy or compassion. It was really like sympathy and right. like just really being disconnected from my emotions because they were so uncomfortable for me to show up fully. How, what are these conversations? And I, I've talked to other high performers that are very, very similar. What are the, what are the conversations like when they ha- finally have that like breakthrough moment? What is it? What does that aha moment look like for them? Well, first I have to tell them there's no gold stars in therapy. So if they try to come mm. it, they're not get a gold star for me. Right? There's no gold stars in therapy. So yeah. that's the first, right? That's funny, yo. Yep. You know, honestly, when they come and they have their hair different or a different outfit on, I know it's about to get real. Mm. <laughs> I know for the first time I am meeting them seeing them they are revealing themselves to me and i've met many many people several times Mm. Um, and so you know my main goal and purpose when i'm supporting high performers is to create that space because high performers like yourself are so multifaceted i have to because Mm. in order to be a high performer you have to transition many 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 times and be a acquire new skills and meet new people and pass your thresholds. And so because I understand that, I understand the dualities of when multiple experiences show up in the space, right? But my main goal, like I was saying, was to provide that safe space for not just parts of the person to show up, but all of the person to show up. And, mm. you know, depending on the, there's two things that, that could hold a high performer back from like really being, Showing up to being a true revealing self. The shame they've experienced. Yes. Yep. In life or the fear, like the driven fear is so innate that nine times out of 10, it was generational. And this is it's mm. like too big for them to like carry. Right. So then we have to take different approaches. 
But if you're just showing up and you're like, I'm ready and I'm not sure if I feel comfortable and safe with you, that's a different thing. That's really just me affirming you, doing some work with you, making getting you some results. Because high performers, you guys like charts, you guys like you guys like results. And so <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because it's so true. I need to see it. <laughs> Once I get out uh, of my chart, I'm a, uh, I'm a chart and you start to get some results, you're like, okay, Mia, I see you and I'll raise you too. And then, so then, then the journey really starts, you start to reveal yourself and then like, you know, it ends up being like, it's a beautiful awakening that I get mm-hmm. to go on with high performers. And that's why I had to fall in love with parts of myself again, because I see all these amazing people transforming and I'm like... Am I really being who I am? Like, is mm, mm. you know, it was a shadow for me. And the more I see my high performers just blossom and do all these amazing things that they love, the more it gives me freedom to also do the same thing. And so we're just feeding off each other's energy. It's just, it makes for a really great life. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I I love that. I, I just think about <laughs> when I'm in like the coaching seat and like I'm talking to like, <laughs> one of my my clients one of my coaches and just like the moment they like finally let their their guard down of just like not having it all together and and the aha moments and all that stuff like those are the, some of the most joyous moments and it's like I, those are the energy moments for me because i'm like yo okay all right all right i learned something new i learned something new because like i see me in in there right. when they did that thing you know what i'm saying and so i told i totally get that and like truly inspiring honestly the folks that i'm like supporting and, and seeing their journeys too so I, I i dig that a lot yeah um yeah i dig that a lot oh my gosh so a question i have for you so i know like with like working with high performers and like even a business setting like leaders and stuff like that i feel like there's still like this stigma around like mental health and talking about mm-hmm. being vulnerable i mean i have seen kind of sort of a shift but maybe that's like the circles I'm in on LinkedIn and Instagram or whatever, the people that I follow and stuff like that. But I'm curious, like, are you seeing a change? Is there a change around like, quote unquote, the stigma of commu- uh, of talking about mental health and being more open and vulnerable about it? Is it hype? Like, what are you seeing from your perspective as somebody who's doing this? Um, um, yeah, I've seen small gradual change and gestures towards it. Right. Mm. But I also see it being diversified. So Google doing some great things with like upping their and increasing their uh, wellness uh, stipend that they give people. I know that, trying to think of that other platform who's doing a good job. Facebook is also doing really great with like checking in, having wellness initiatives and doing things like that. So there's companies that are getting more innovative in the wellness practices and making sure that people are talking about the discussion about it. But what I feel like what needs to change is the language right mm, people, yeah, we, yeah. We, you can't really correlate a high performer with mental health because that that gives the perception that they ha- are struggling with something at a bottom level when that's mm-hmm. not the case right yeah. so i play around with the wording is wellness right mm-hmm. Cause to perform well you have to have a sense of wellness in yep. your performance right so that's what i would like to see happening because i think that people would more be more inclined because when you're working at these Fortune 500 companies or you're an entrepreneur, your main focus is to get better at what you're doing, right? Yep, yep. That's the whole absolutely. point. So if we're well in our wellness, then we're going to be able to perform better. So it's just kind of what comes first to chicken on the egg. Well, your wellness does. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. So, <laughs> 
that's what comes first. So it's, it's, it's I think I, I want to see in the next two years, right? That's my push. It's okay. to see wellness across the span on platforms like LinkedIn and, and meetups like iVision, men going to play basketball and talking about the therapeutic appointments and it not being this like some thrown through your week type. That's mm-hmm. very left brain focus, which is just productivity. And we're in a right brain economy right now, which mm-hmm. authenticity is everything because we have to rebuild the trust. So. Yeah. If people can't trust your authenticity, then you can't lead them. They're not going to mm-hmm. trust you to lead them. And so we have to focus on who are we as we're leading other people. And, and instead of getting upset at the experiences we're having, learn coping skills that are going to help us with giving ourselves the necessary space, growth tools to evolve, because all of us are evolving right now. So. You know, those are, that's just for me in a nutshell to, you know, answer your question, um, what I feel like or where I want to see mental health go in the business world. That's dope. That's really cool. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly too. Cause like there is a, a definite like lack of trust. It is wild. Like this like job market right now and, and folks mm-hmm. are, you know, they see all they need to see in like a few weeks or like they ask to not ask, but like, they, you know, put in a request to go on vacation or put in a request to take care of their family or whatever. And like, that's not being met or anything like that. Or after, you know, a company says like, oh, we care about family or we want to create a life, work-life balance or whatever. And you're denying those things. They're like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm so good because there's so many jobs available that I can, you know, probably go to and get paid more, if not the same. Yeah. So, and I've even worked with some folks that are just, that are coming from the nonprofit space, going into like the for-profit space. And they're being like shocked about how many more benefits are there around wellness, around like vacation, around even like development stipends that weren't there in these like helping professions. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's a, a, another podcast um, mm-hmm. that we had another conversation about, you know, the helping profession be these other like for-profit big old companies and whatnot. But yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm curious because I'm still on this journey of evolving, of growing, yeah. of learning. for. Like, I'm still trying to find ways of, like, you know, protecting my energy, protecting my peace, protecting those things that are, like, important to me instead of, like, going to these old habits of, like, letting my trauma lead and guide. So how do you, like, what are some ways if if you were to give a message to somebody of, like, yo, this is why it's important to protect your, like, peace, energy, and all that, what would you say to them and what would be some of the the things that they could work on or or apply to their lives uh, to grow in these areas? All right. If you are a person that before your title, before proofing a point, before, you know, you think legacy, you think of yourself, if you are really a selfless person, you want to have massive impact, you have to be healthy to do that. Because our health is so important vibrationally to send messaging that it would be who of us during this time to get our health together. For the first time, there's no experts. It takes 10 years to be an expert. We're only two years outside of COVID, right? And COVID mm-hmm. cases are still happening. So there's so much new, innovative energy going on. Like, your wellness is so essential to aligning with that energy. And so mm-hmm. the more whole, the more honest, the more forgiving, the more loving, the more kind you are, the higher your attraction to that new energy that we're in. So if you want to be fresh and new... I would say, like, be transparent with yourself, 
right? Mm-hmm. If something intuitively is saying, hey, hey, we need to kind of work on that, fix that. Don't do your regular coping skills like go out, get in a relationship, um, get a dog, go out for drinks with people, overwork yourself, right? Get super busy in your calendar. Don't do any of those things, right? Sit with yourself, right? First, be a safe person to yourself first. Long enough to sit with yourself. I don't know what people are doing to not be safe for themselves. But if you're not able to meet yourself in that space... Then start to figure out why am I not able to do that, right? And then mm-hmm. when you're able to do that, have that transparent conversation with yourself and then focus on forgiving yourself because that's the hardest part as high performers that we can do is forgive us because when we do moves, we do a big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And the bigger the performer, the bigger the mess they have to clean up, right? Yep, yep. But that's okay. Because what you have to think about is the massive impact you're going to make when you go the right way. Mm-hmm. And the things you're going to change because you did it the wrong way. And the lessons you learned because of that, right? Because we are all on this journey towards impacting on a abundant scale. That's mm-hmm. why you and I are having this conversation because we align in that. And we're so passionate about getting there that we're willing to fix ourselves first before we can lead others. And so that's what I want to see people do, working on those high-level, high-conscious coping skills, because we're changing the world right now in real time. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. I think, well, I don't want to... All right, I'm just going to say it. So, like, it's... What you said is so so true, that, like, there's no experts at this time. We're two mm-hmm. years not even technically removed it, like COVID's still happening <laughs> uh, <laughs> and but we're like you know all of us are in like uncharted territory and like figuring it out and like this is a great time to just like learn more about yourself take care of yourself ask yourself the question what do i need what do i want what is um what is important to me right now and understanding if i'm a safe person or not like to even be alone like i mm-hmm. i haven't even thought about that that part of like uh, am i a safe person to even be alone <laughs> or do I need like some some support and like figure out that ask that question why? No, you dropped so many nuggets today. Yeah. Uh, I really, really, truly appreciate you. I think this is a good, good place to stop. But I would love for folks to get connected with you to learn more about what you're offering, especially for those, you know, black high performers out there who are looking for who really resonated with this and, and really wanted to dive deeper into it. Absolutely. So you can link, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where my platform are, is for all you high performers. Yes, I have set up camp right where you guys all can bat out. Mm-hmm. And so you can like my business page at RC Wellness Brand. But where my most of my following is, is on my personal page. And it's just me original and you'll see me. And I'll provide that information when I send over my um, contacts to you if you get that out. But I also support non-Black people, especially if they're wanting wanting to be allies, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't want you guys to think that I'm limited to just the Black experience. No, that's where my area of focus is. But I'm open to those who want to really do the deep dive work, right, and want to be led by a Black pet practitioner who's really willing to have these conversations with you that may be hard to talk about with other people, especially like-minded people. So I definitely am just a safe space and a safe person for anyone. You know, these are really raw, authentic experiences on both sides of the spectrum that we have to appreciate and make space for. So, you know, if you're a person and you're, you want to be an ally, like definitely 
Let's talk about doing some one-on-one work. Let's talk about me coming into your place of work and us really doing that DEI work and diving into that and how can we co-partner in that. So those are the places they can reach me at and rcwellnessbrand.com on across the platforms of all social media. Nice. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to plug all of that into the show notes. Yes, learn for Black women, pay Black women. Yes, 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 yes. Love it, love it, love it. Well, thank you again, Nia, for coming on the show, dropping those gems, dropping that knowledge, sharing your journey, your wisdom so openly and vulnerably. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas. Additional production help by the incomparable Lindsay Dumas with music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really helps folks discover the show. Till next time, y'all. Peace.